Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. The next part that we're going to look at is around the idea of pleasing God. To get into that, I want to think a little bit about the idea of pleasing people. For some people, being a people pleaser sounds a very negative thing. We kind of imagine it to mean that we kind of do whatever anybody else wants. And even if that's contradictory, even if that uh, is not a good idea, we just do what other people tell us to do. However, I like the idea of pleasing people. I want to please people. Now, maybe that's a very bad thing about me, but there's something within me that enjoys it when people are pleased by what I've done. So I don't know whether you think pleasing people is a good idea or not. And then if we think about pleasing God, is that a good thing or not? Uh, Martin, uh, Martin Marty says this, a friend said he'd gone to many churches and heard the preacher say, don't try to impress God with your works. Don't attempt to please God with your merits. In other words, we can't earn God's love. We can't make God pleased with us in order to get his love. And then he says, the man, the man looked around at the nearly slumbering collection of utterly casual Christians and wondered who's trying. In other words, just as it is with pleasing people, whilst it may not be a great idea to try and please people, it's a terrible idea to think I don't care whether I please anybody or not. And equally, somehow or other, we've got to find the right balance with God. No, we can't earn our love. He loves us unconditionally. But there is a place for trying to please him. Is it possible to be loved by God and at the same time displease him? I think it is. I think we know that from our family lives. There are members of our family who we love, but boy, at times they can displease us. The goal is not just to be satisfied with God loving us. It's not just to be rest on our laurels and say, hey, God loves me, that's all I need to know. The goal is to go one step further and say, because he loves me, I want to please him. Because he loves me, I want to bring him pleasure. Because he loves me, I want to respond in thankfulness with a lifestyle that is akin to what he asks of me. And I'm inspired and encouraged and excited by that idea. I don't need to earn God's love. He's already come as Jesus and died in my place. But I do want to return that love by pleasing him. Now, I'm just going to skim over John 8, 20 to 26, because we refer to those in two of our earlier studies. If you have a look at the study entitled, How Do We Measure a Person?, and particularly the study entitled Knowing Where We Are Going. You'll see that I refer to these verses in those studies. So let's pick it up at verse 27. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted, have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. When he refers to the Son of Man, he means himself. When he's talking about being lifted up, he's probably talking about the cross. He's signaling to them that when he is on the cross, they will understand who he is. 
In other words, that the cross is going to reveal his divinity and his fulfillment of scripture. They will see him as the suffering servant of Isaiah. They will see him as the atoning sacrifice that Isaiah talks about. And they will see his humble obedience to the Father. And he continues, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And so he's talking about that, that even on the cross and in the lead up to the cross, he is not abandoned by God. And that the resurrection authenticates Jesus. And that's where we just want to pick it up then with Isaiah 53. We read these words written hundreds of years before Jesus. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. This is speaking about this figure that is to come, the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, when you lift me up, you will see that I fulfill all of this. It was the Lord's will to crush him, Isaiah 53, verse 10, and cause him to suffer and through the Lord make his life an atonement for sin. So this person that will die is the way of sin being paid for. And Jesus is alluding to himself as fulfilling it. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. Now remember, he's just been sacrificed, but the prophecy is that he will also uh, see uh, the future prosperity. In other words, this passage in Isaiah talks about a sacrifice who is then resurrected. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. This is Isaiah 53, verse 11, and be satisfied. And Jesus seems to be implying that when you see me on the cross and you see that God hasn't abandoned me and you see me rise from the dead, then you will know who I am. And the prophecy continues. His knowledge, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. This is the work of Jesus on the cross. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he was poured out his life unto death. So he's saying he will have life even though he's been poured out to death. He is going to live even though he's going to die. And Jesus seems to be saying, this is who I am. And when you see this happen, when you see me die and you see me rise, you will go, yes, we understand who Jesus is. So that's all a little bit of theology, but I want to then pick up where we began with the very last line of that verse, John 8, 29. I always do what pleases him. And it continues, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. And we'll look at that next time uh, as we go about what he actually says to them, to the Jews who had believed Jesus said, and then That's our study next time. But let's go back and reflect for the rest of our study now on pleasing God. Jesus says that everything he does pleases the Father. And I want to ask right at this moment, do we understand what that means? Does knowing we are loved motivate us to please God or does it motivate us to please ourselves? I want to read you a quote from a song. I'm not going to tell you who it's by till the end. This is how it goes. You have given all there is to give. What can I do for you? You have given me life to live. How can I live for you? 
You pulled me out of bondage and you made me renewed inside. You filled up a hunger that had always been denied. Opened a door that no man can shut. You opened it so wide and you've chosen me to be among the few. What can I do for you? You've laid down your life for me. What can I do for you? You've explained every mystery. What can I do for you? I know all about poison. I know all about fiery darts. I don't care how rough the road is. Show me where it starts. Whatever pleases you, tell it to my heart. Well, I don't deserve it, but I sure did make it through. What can I do for you? It's a song by Bob Dylan. Jesus says, when he's on the cross, you will understand everything. And then he says, and I please the Father. And my thoughts now are, if we see Jesus on the cross, what can we do for him? Does knowing we are loved motivate us to please God or please ourselves? Are we like Bob Dylan saying, what can I do for you? So I did a little bit of a, a, a word study and I went through the Bible and tried to look at every passage that talks about be God being pleased. And uh, there's quite a lot in the beginning of the Old Testament around about the sacrifices and the, and, and the smell of them. But I'm going to leave all of that on one side. I want to look at what the New Testament says and just a couple of places in the Old Testament that point to the New Testament about what is said to please God. And it's a fascinating set of ideas that please God. It's not what I would necessarily have written. Now, this is not a definitive list. This is not where we're saying these are the only things that please God. But I'm asking the question because it gives us a different set of answers. What does the Bible say pleases God? I wonder if you were to write, pause this now and to write your list of what you think the Bible actually says pleases God, what you would come up with. Well, here's the list of things that I found with the scriptures connected to them. And the first one is not where I would have started at all. The first thing that the New Testament tells us pleases God is when we care for family, particularly the elderly and the vulnerable in our family. 1 Timothy 5 says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. God has created a culture and a life where the young care for the old. And that pleases him. It displeases him, therefore, when the elderly are left alone unlistened to, unlooked after, uncared for. That's a challenge to us, isn't it? That's a great challenge to us. That we please God when we find the elderly and look after them, particularly when they're in our own family. And the second thing that the New Testament says pleases God is in the same ballpark, but equally not what I would have necessarily come up with talks about family obedience and submission. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now that's a little bit scary in Colossians 3. 
It's probable that the word children is quite literal. It doesn't mean that we obey our parents when, when my age. We honour our parents. That's universal. I need to honour my parents. I'm middle-aged. I have an elderly mother. I honour her. I don't necessarily obey her anymore. Probably this word is literally under 12s, under 11s, under 14s, something like that, that they need to obey their uh, parents, which is, if you think about it, is sensible because it's about the, children, the parents protecting them. But there is a really important caveat because the next verse says, fathers, do not embitter your children. So as a parent, we have a responsibility to do what is right for our children and therefore they have a responsibility to obey. But if we do the wrong thing for them, if we are harsh or brutal or abusive, then they can't obey us. So the two need to go hand in hand. But the point is this, that God is pleased when children are protected because they have learned to obey their parents and they are safe in that world, and that pleases God. So you've got the two sides here. The God is pleased when the elderly are looked after, and he is pleased when the young are looked after. The young are safe because they have parents they can obey. The old are safe because they have children who look after them. So a question for reflection for a moment is how, care, how strong is our care for the vulnerable? and especially our family. Are we caring enough? Now, there's a few more to come, and we're moving into the, some of the things that we perhaps might have expected to find. So the next thing is prayer for others. I urge you, this is 1 Timothy 2, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. That's great. That's straightforward. We understand that praying for other people pleases God. That when we intercede, when we bring the needs of someone to God, when we pray for someone that they might be healed or that they might find faith or that they might be strengthened or guided or equipped or uh, helped in one way or another, that pleases God. But he goes on. Especially for kings and for those in authority. So we're to pray for everyone, but a particular attention drawn to pray for our leaders. It pleases God when we pray for Boris Johnson. <laughs> That's strange, isn't it? Or is it? And so the question I want to posit at this point is how essential to us is praying for others? Is it just something we do from time to time? Or if knowing that it really pleases God, does that make it more a part of the important agenda of the day. But this passage goes on. It says, pray for kings and all those who are in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. So what does it mean to live a peaceful and quiet life and why would that please God? Well, I want to suggest that it means that in our life we seek to resolve conflict. We're not comfortable with allowing conflict to exist between us and our family or our neighbours or our friends or our colleagues or whatever it is. That we seek to, to not live li lives of shouting, but peacefully and quiet. 
that we are people who do not stir up division, that we're not looking for ways to argue with people. We're not looking for ways to disagree with people. We're not looking for ways to make ourselves different to others. We want to get on with everyone. And this pleases God. That we're praying for our leaders and praying for everyone rather than uh, putting them on the other side of a political debate and, and calling them a- enemies. But rather we're trying to bring people together. It's important that we have the caveat there that by living a peaceful and quiet life, we do not mean keeping a damaging peace that might be oppressive or exploitative or abusive of others. Living a peaceful life does not mean allowing injustice and evil to continue. So it's not keeping the peace, but it's making lives that are peaceful. So my question for reflection is this. Are we known as one who brings peace? Is that our reputation? Or are we known as an argumentative or divisive? Do we make peace in the communities we're a part of? Or are we part of division? It pleases God to be people of peace, to be peacemakers. But finally, in this passage, he says, we pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. What do we mean by godliness? We're talking about exhibiting the character, the nature, the personality, the attributes of God. And they're helpfully laid out for us in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's what godliness looks like. So it pleases God when we are seeking to grow in all of those areas. So the question for reflection is, where are we asking God to grow more of his character in us? Do we recognize that our impatience is displeasing to God? Do we recognize that our lack of self-control might be displeasing to God? And do we want to grow in these things to be more and more gentle, to be more and more faithful, to be more and more loving and peaceful? Because he concludes this. For king, we pray for kings and those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. Holiness, that we're dedicated to God. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. And this idea of being holy, set apart, uniquely devoted to God is one that comes up in some of the other passages that talk about pleasing God. Romans 12 verse 1, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. When we say to God, here's my life, I'm here for you. I want my days to fulfill what you want from me. What can I do? It's pleasing to God when we say, God, I'm yours. I put me to work where you would have me. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, Paul continues in this passage of Romans. It pleases God when we say that I'm not going to do what the world wants, I'm going to do what God wants. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. 
So we're building up a list of what it means to please God. And the next one uh, comes from the Old Testament, and it's that of integrity. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. God is pleased when our words and our lives match. And he is displeased by hypocrisy when we say one thing and do another. He is pleased with a godly life, a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. He is displeased with a life that talks about love but doesn't do it. He talks about gentleness but is not gentle. He is displeased with a lack of integrity. And so my question at this point is how consciously have we dedicated our life to God? Is our life really given to him or is it just a lip service? And have we made that choice to say, God, my life isn't mine, it's now for you because you have died for me. Still the list of references go on. In Colossians, we read these words. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, one, Colossians 1.10, that you will live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. What does it mean to bear fruit? I think at its essence, it means that our lives are so productive and attractive to others that the faith we have in Jesus is reproduced because they say, what you have, I want to be. So he links in with this idea of integrity, that people say, there's something about you, there's something about the way you do your job, there's something about the way you relate, something about the way you speak, there's something about the way you live your life that I want to have that too. And so Colossians says, we reproduce, we bear fruit, and this pleases God. And it's linked to then knowing God's will. Knowing that the tasks and the jobs of today are what he's purposed and intends for us. Knowing that that conversation is what God wanted. Knowing that that act of kindness is what God wanted. It's not that every moment of every day is... is, Uh, doing God's will, it's that within the day there are those moments where it's quite clear that's what he wanted us to do. So where are we asking God to bring fruit from our labour? Where are we saying, Lord, may this kindness, this prayer, this conversation, this act of practical work, may it glorify you. And finally, there's just one more. Well done for staying in it so long. There's just one more. Brings it all together. Psalm 69, 30 and 31. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox. You say, Why would, what's the ox got to do with it? Well, it links in. Do you remember I said at the very beginning that the, the, the aroma of sacrifices is often talked about as pleasing God? Well, as the Old Testament develops, what we discover is that God isn't really interested in the uh, animal sacrifice. He's interested in the heart. And what he really longs for is thanksgiving and worship. 
the heart turned towards him pleases him. And when we say to God, thank you for this, thank you for being this, then we please God. So how big a part of our life is thanksgiving? So there's a whole list of things, caring for family, um, praying for others, living peaceful and quiet lives, being dedicated to God, having integrity, being godly, bearing fruit, and being thankful. There's a whole list of things. And we read these words in Ephesians. You were in darkness, but now you are uh, light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So my encouragement is for you to reflect, maybe rewind, maybe pause, and look at that list and say, my heart is to please you, God, just as Jesus was pleasing the Father. My heart is to please you. And to be able to say, I always do what pleases God. Bob Dylan says, you have given everything to me. What can I do for you? You have given me eyes to see what can I do for you? I know about the poison. I know about fiery darts. I don't care how road, rough the road is. Show me where it starts. Whatever pleases you, you tell it to my heart. Well, I don't deserve it, but I sure did make it through. What can I do for you? We're going to pray in a moment. Just a reminder of those questions. Does knowing we are loved motivate us to please God or to please ourselves? Have we stopped at being loved but actually displeasing the one who loves us? Are we able to move through being loved and say, I'm loved and I please God? And what does that look like? Well, how strong is our care for the vulnerable, especially family? How essential to us is praying for others? Are we known as one who brings peace? Where are we asking to grow more of God's character in our lives? How consciously have we dedicated our life to God? Where are we asking God to bring fruit from our labor? And how big a part of life is thanksgiving? Father, will you help us to live lives that please you? We offer ourselves to you and we say, what can we do for you? For you have loved us. And we, like Jesus, want to be known as those who please the Father. I want to pray this blessing based on Hebrews on you as we finish. May the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.